Welcome to Scanner School session number 59, another Ask Scanner School session, but this time with a twist. Welcome to the Scanner School, a podcast dedicated to the scanner radio hobby. Class is about to begin. Here is your host, Phil Lichtenberger. So welcome to Scanner School. My name is Phil Lichtenberger. My amateur radio call science W2LE, and this podcast is here to teach you everything you need to know about the scanner radio hobby. Now, while this is a podcast, don't forget we also have a YouTube channel, which I am starting to become a little bit more active in right now. I've got a couple of videos on there, and I have a nice little list going of additional videos that I want to post. So if you are interested in learning something a little bit different, something that I can't really explain over a podcast, something a little bit more hands-on, something that's a little bit more um, visual, Please go to scannerschool.com slash YouTube and please subscribe. And also while you're subscribing, click on the bell. We are just under 800 subscribers right now, and I would really love to hit 1,000 by the end of the month. So if you can help me out hit a, and click subscribe so I can hit my 1,000 goal, that's really where I'd love to be by the end of the month. And I do. I have some great videos in EQ, and I'm also looking for some video ideas. So if you want to jump on our Facebook group and leave me a suggestion over there, you can do so again, scannerschool.com slash Facebook group. We have over 800 members in that group as well. And, um, you know, plenty of conversations going on, not even related to the show, just general scanning questions. So um, it's a great place to hang out if you are on Facebook. So before we get started, I want to remind you that Scanner School is sponsored by East Coast Pages. And again, East Coast Pages is one of my online companies. So if you're looking for a new pager for your fire department or you want to you know, just grow your radio collection, a pager is a great way to do so because it frees up your scanner radio and a scan, uh, pager is dedicated to just listening to your local fire department. And what's nice too is if you are a diehard like me, and you want to leave the radio on, but you don't want to listen to the nonsense, a pager will only open and activate if you program in the paging tones that go out over the air. So it's a nice way to keep the radio silent and just know what's going on. And even at night, you can put on doing disturb mode and then go back in the morning and play back your messages, and you'll hear what you missed overnight. So if you go to uh, eastcoastpagers.com, we have Unication G1, G4, G5 pagers, the uh, S-Quad 360, and the S-Quad Voice by Swiss Foam. And again, we offer free shipping on those pager models. So again, eastcoastpagers.com. All right, so this is another Ask Scanner School session, but we're going to do this one with a little bit of a twist. You're going to be a fly on the wall on a consulting session. Yes, I do offer consulting services for anybody that's looking for hands-on or a one-on-one type of um, tutorial or just getting through a hump that they have in the scanner radio hobby. So what you're going to listen to right now is a conversation between Tyler and myself. Tyler had a couple of questions, and I offered to uh, to meet with him for a 30-minute consulting session. Now, again, this one goes a little bit longer because we agreed to actually do this one as a podcast episode. So kind of as a trade-off, I gave him a couple extra minutes to, uh, to go through anything else that he wanted to go. So this is a bit longer than a 30-minute consulting session. But again, we're going to listen to this um, you know, as a fly on the wall. Tyler was sharing his screen with me, so we are going to refer to some things that you, we are looking at uh, as opposed to what um, 
you know, what you're listening to. And as well as you'll hear some chimes in the background. For those of you who use Windows 10, you'll notice those notifications. He did have some processes running in the background, and it was a notification that was going on the screen as we were talking and going through what was on uh, his Windows computer. But all in all, I wanted to uh, put this session out there so you can see what a consulting session with me is like. So if you're interested in a consulting session, you can go to scannerschool.com consulting. If you can't remember that, just go to scannerschool.com, scroll all the way to the bottom of the page, all the way down to the bottom. Under pages, there will be a link to the consulting session where you can book an appointment with me. Now, again, we do this over Skype. Uh, we can do TeamViewer. Uh, I like Skype because it does allow us to share screens and, and do remote control and all that stuff as well. So again, this is a consulting call between Tyler and myself. And uh, I hope you enjoy listening to how it is I interact with, um, you know, those who I give consulting services for. Now, again, if you want your consulting service, if you need more help, you can always reach out to me at scannerschool.com slash consulting. So here we go. Going. Good, Phil. How you doing? Good. Hey, uh, just before we get started here, I wanted just to say, uh, hey, man, keep up on the, the good work. I stumbled across the podcast about oh shoot probably about three weeks ago okay and uh just getting into the space and uh a bunch of good stuff so 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 keep that up excellent thank you very much i appreciate that so i kind of just you know being new um being new in the in the world of scanners and um listening to about 20 i start very sequentially started at about uh, the very first one i'm in the 20s of your of your podcast so there's a chance that maybe some of this stuff is either not digested fully or maybe I'm to get to yet, but I kind of just have a, a range of questions. Okay. Um, and I think that you'd probably be able to have some of the <clears throat> the more um, higher level responses for it. Um, so I've got a um, – let me actually – well, I'll, I'll ask you a few questions. And I can maybe just do a quick screen share and I can show you a few screenshots that I've got that maybe also will help. Sure. Um, but just from a <clears> – <throat> Uh, from a higher level standpoint, how do you determine how to group your systems, your sites, your groups? Um, and the question that kind of, kind of comes hand in hand with that is, is it, is it bad not to because of the way that the, the, um, um, the, the, the file structure is so that it, it can process more, um, more transmissions at once. Gotcha. All right. So, if I'm if I'm understanding what you're asking correctly, is you want to know like you don't want to make small groups and find out that it'd be better to make a bigger group because you have a better success rate on the larger group of getting the talk groups you want to listen to. Yeah, I'm actually okay. just hitting share screen right sure. now. So here's a, a screenshot of just a, the ArcXT on on one scanner that I have. And okay, so. It's like search and discovery mode. What can I pick up? You know, and there's a mm -hmm. whole rabbit hole of, of questions there. Right. But so what I have is I have, you know, three different types of systems all okay. named the same. And, and the reason that it is because um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm having the files record out to folders and I'm trying to stick everything that comes from a certain county okay. in that folder. So in, in here, you know, the structure is there's a conventional system with your conventional frequencies. There's your P25 um, site and then talk groups and then um, there's an EDAX system up here. Okay. Um, and so when you know I look at the scanner, um, and basically what's happening is 
there's at the very bottom there is a shot kind of like this let's say for example and you've got along the bottom you've got no systems and no groups and so my my, my question is is this problematic from like a memory management standpoint no not really so so when i normally program if so when I program a system for myself, I'll add the groups in there because they're they're good to turn off and on. So, for example, with with, with the way I do them is uh, my local fire uh, county, right? There's there's nine battalions in the county plus a countywide. So it works out nicely on the unit ends because you have groups one through nine of the nine battalions. Group zero I set up as the the countywide stuff. So. I can easily and quickly turn the groups off and on based on what it is I want to listen to. So if I only want to listen to like my where I live now is the 6th Battalion within the county. And nothing okay. in the county dispatches over countywide. So I could really just turn off everything in the county really quickly by using the groups. And I would basically lock out you know everything but the 6th Battalion. So what about in the case where... I want to be as hands-off as possible. I want to be able to um, capture as many transmissions as possible. The, the, if I was going to be in front of the, the scanner and I was going to be you know, <clears throat> manually interacting with it, mm -hmm. that makes perfect sense. Right. Um, the, the, the use case that I'm using it for is scanner in a certain location. Um, I, the only time I ever have to touch it would be to figure out if there's been you know, updates, you know, I got to right. add talk groups or new, they've changed frequencies. Right, right. So in that case, it doesn't really matter if you're going to set them up in groups or not. I mean, the scanner is going to uh, go through all the groups, although I have to verify because I, I know what the, with like the home patrol units is a little bit different. It goes from, from lowest to highest or, or first in, first out, uh, whatever, mm -hmm. whatever favorites list you create the first is how it's going to go. It doesn't actually necessarily go in alphabetical order. Um, with the 9 and 6, I'm not sure if it just scans everything in the system or if it goes through each group independently. I think what it does is it goes through each group, you know, group 1, 2, 3, 4. Too. So, um, again, if you have all the groups turned on, I don't think it really makes too much of a difference, you know, whether or not you're going to collect everything. Because if you have just one big group or you have subgroups, um, as long as they're all turned on, you're effectively just doing the exact same thing. And, and the, the the asterisk there means that that group is not on or not enabled, right? It means that it's defined in the scanner, but it's locked out. That's what the asterisk means. If it was a hash mark or a minus sign, it would mean that nothing's defined in that position. So, for example, on your top window here, you have something defined in um, you have nothing defined in S zero because they're all they're all hashed out. So you have no systems defined there, but you have group one turned on and enabled. And then two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight looks like that they're defined, but they're all locked out. I got you. <clears throat> yeah, because the um, what I'll actually do is I'll get this going while I continue to. I'm actually going to open up a uh, arc while we're talking. And, okay. Um, <clears throat> so, I guess just more of the. So that, that that's good to know that part. So how do you how do you judge? Um, like capacity of a scanner, um, so where you don't put twenty counties on there and anything and everything on there, and let's say you could pick it up from the way that I understand that this works is it's it's working in a sequential matter where it picks up a frequency that's being broadcast. It's going to stop 
it's going to listen to that. And if there are other um, broadcasts that are going on during that same time, it could potentially miss. Is that mm -hmm. correct? That's definitely so, correct. So then it's a, then my question is, okay, well, all right, let's then talk about multi-scanners in a single location. And then are you just kind of trial and error, figuring out, I'm going to move all my talk groups over to this one, I'm going to move all my frequencies over here, and you know, try to figure out what the sweet spot is depending on usage? Mm-hmm. Okay. So... So yeah, you're you're starting to really get deep into the hobby here, and you're gonna find out that this is going to be just a rabbit hole to go down to, and this is what makes the hobby really fun. So the way I have mine set up is I have one scanner dedicated per use that I am interested in. So I have one scanner dedicated to my county, uh, what was dedicated to my county PD before they went encrypted, uh, my county fire. I have the neighboring county police, neighboring county fire. Then I have a bunch of other scanners that I have set up for particular tasks, maybe for state police and one maybe for, um, you know, uh, Marine, stuff like that. And sure. these are all known frequencies, and they're, and they're busy doing their jobs, and I'm listening to conversations. And because the scan lists are relatively small, and I'm saying relatively small because I'm not scanning, uh, you know, those four agencies together. I'm not scanning my counties, fire and police, and the neighbor county, fire police, maybe NYPD and FDNY because, you know, I live on Long Island. So I would never really get out of FDNY and NYPD, basically, because they're just constantly busy. Uh, breaking it down into small scan lists on scanners dedicated to the task will allow you to not would minimize you missing conversations. Uh, it would increase your headache because now you're listening to more things at once. Sure. Um, but then you could also dedicate scanners to just be in search mode and just run through the frequencies that you're not aware that are actually in use or the talk groups that have no activity on. Um, and if you're going to dive into talk groups with no activity, maybe it's time to look at uh, running some software like Unitrunker or um, op, was it OP25, uh, DSD+, something that actually has some logging functionality that's more advanced from uh, the Butel software. Okay. Um, and then from there, you can even get into, like, I know people that just stack radios up. If, if you look at, um, actually, it was just a post yesterday on Radio Reference, one of uh, Richard Carlson, he's, he's an employee of Scanner Master. He just posted a link to his latest, uh, his latest scanner setup, and he has a rack, a 42U rack, which stands seven feet tall, that's mm -hmm. three quarters full with scanners. Now, again, each scanner is doing its own dedicated task. One does local police, one does local fire. But he's broken it down where he's big into uh, mill-air monitoring. So he's broken down the mill-air band into like four scanners. So each scanner just scans through a very small sample in a search range. Because, again, if you're scanning from point A to point B and they're pretty far apart, you're going to miss something that's really close to point A. Sure. So that's what I'm saying. This is a very deep rabbit hole that you can go down which is a really exciting part of the hobby. And you can make this as big as you wanted to make it be. Um, and, um, you know, right now you're, you're tip of the iceberg on what it is that I think that it is that you want to do. So. Yeah. And um, in, the, in the past three years, I feel like my, or three weeks, I feel like I put my toe in the water and then just mm -hmm. kind of fell in. <laughs> yes. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of in that. So uh, as far as the looking at that, that screenshot here and looking at these groups and these um, that are kind of turned up, that's just this feature turning turning off. Is that correct? Yes. So those would be the quick. So um, enable group quick. Right. Correct. So now if you actually uh, 
open up that system, that bell system you're looking at. So you see you have Harrier Heights, Quick Key 1, uh, Kylene, Quick Key 1, right? So those are the group keys. And you can see from there, from the pull-down menu you're over right now, that's how you would change those Quick Keys, th those definitions. Sure. Yeah, I went through and I was like, all right, cool, I'm going to... I'm gonna structure all these yeah, you're gonna organize them right i did it and then um i don't i don't know if it was just the the stars were aligned in the right way but i just like stopped picking up transmissions mm. and i'm like oh, okay revert back to last known working configuration <laughs> and right. so it's been been back here so but as long as it doesn't matter from like a ability to to pick up a well let's um, let's hold off right there for a second that exact reason that you were just saying, you all of a sudden you, you define quick keys and you weren't able to hear anything, is exactly why when I program scanners for other people, I do not define quick keys for anybody. Mm. Because it's very easy to lock out a quick key and not realize you've locked it out. So, again, you know, an example I just gave earlier where I say with my county where I have nine divisions plus a countywide, if you accidentally press that function button and then any one of the numerical keys... You're locking out that group key under oh, that wow. system. So you might think you're locking out system one or scan list one, but in reality, it's because you pressed the function key first, you accidentally pushed in on that wheel, that, that multi-position that mm -hmm. multi -position dial, you're locking out a group key. And you may never realize you've locked that group key out until, like your case here, oh, oh the radio is silent. I haven't heard this talk group or this frequency in forever. You hit manual and you cycle through everything and realize that you have an asterisk in there. And for most people, they scratch their head going, why is there an asterisk in here? I can't figure this out. Because mm -hmm. they don't realize that there's the subgroups in there. So to make things simple, and I think you're beyond the simple point. I think you understand you understand how the, the systems and groups work because you're defining them. Um, just make sure when you go in there and you look at your scan list. And again, it's very easy. You can just read the radio and see what's in there. We can actually look at that now and make sure that it's enabled. So looking at what you have down there right now, which is groups that, that are enabled, it looks like only group one is enabled. But that's all you have in that system is group one. You don't have anything else to find anywhere else in that system. You only have group uh, quick key one, group one. Correct. So four. if I was to assign systems, I'd be doing that here, correct? Correct. That would be in there. Yep. So that's kind of what I did. I did, you know, one, well, actually all these were on system one. I believe I put, actually, no, I think what I did is I put, you know, the three in Bell County, I put those on independent system. I put everything on independent system just so that I could look at the scanner that's sitting in front of me and I could say, okay, uh, system four, group one is, you know, Williamson County conventional. And on that, I, I'm looking at um, Round Rocks fire. And okay, that's there. Um, well, I actually got a, another question for you while we're at like this level. How how do you program in the the hex code? So zero four, let's say um, if it's if it's zero, if there's a talk group with zero four dash zero nine zero, can mm -hmm. I just add a channel and put it in that way instead of just doing the the 593 or the yeah you're better off sticking with the decimal standard okay yeah i don't even think it's possible to do uh to do the decimal in um in motorola through butel i think you guys stick with decimal and so you just can okay yeah i can see now i can see some of these so okay cool that that's good to know yeah stick with um... decimal 
So is radio reference really, I mean, from what it seems like, it's like the, the mecca of mm -hmm. information sources. Is there any other um, information sources that you use to determine uh, any maybe non-published talk groups or, or frequencies? Your own homework is your best bet when it comes to that, your own personal lists. Yeah, that's um, kind of what yeah, and you're going to build them. I mean, it looks like right now you're on the road to building out yourself because you, you said you are logging things. Um, if you bring up virtual controller, you know, on on Butte, on because you, you, you have Pro, it looks like Arc XT Pro, so mm -hmm. you will have the logging, you will have virtual control, so you'll be able to start picking things up. Um, another thing you can look at too is the FCC database, uh, and again, if if you're a premium subscriber to Radio Reference, you can actually do a Radio Ref, um, um, an FCC dump, I believe. And it will give you a CSV file of all the all the um, frequencies that are defined in an area, and again you can sort through those and find out which ones sound like they might be important to you. Okay. Um, yeah. But again, like by me, a lot of things aren't licensed, even though they're the license to like Company A, Company B might be using them instead. So, sure. You know, it, it's this is the part of the hobby I feel like has isn't dead, but is dying. Radio, in which reference, part? radio reference is great because it gives you like you said it's the mecca of finding out information but there's that part of the hobby that is a lost art i feel that it's actually people who go out there and they they find things out for themselves which uh, i can yeah. i can definitely tell is what you want to do which is great um so yes yeah, setting up your radios in search mode and maybe sitting them so they sit in the uhf business band or the public safety band or throwing your scanner on talk group ID search mode instead of talk group scan mode and see what comes up and then start monitoring those. And, and that's where you get into software again, like Unitrunker um, or, okay. or DSD plus, depending what it is you want to do. But if you want to play around with uh, Unitrunker, that would be a, an awesome start for you to actually visualize and see what's going on on a trunk system. That's what I use to discover new talk groups on my current system. Of course, again, a lot of it's encrypted. It's not easy to find what they are. But my neighboring county is staging a new talks, a new trunk system. So we're actively watching it as they're deploying the system, as they're bringing radios on, as they're bringing talk groups on there and using them for the very first time. It's very exciting to see what they're building that isn't publicly available yet. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, when actually at the screen, before I, before I forget, so you, I see the you know the NF you know, near FM and then there's actual frequencies, but I pretty much only uh, see them flipping between NFM and like a. A set frequency, you know, in the 800 band. Why don't you, you know, or maybe I'm just not viewing it 24/7. But why don't I see other frequencies come um, listed up in the frequency here? Or is it just a matter of, well, you're probably not watching it when that frequency is picked up? So that's a good one. Um, I was going to say it's because it's an ID scan mode. You're going to see the active talk uh, control channel, but the one below it negates exactly what I was just going to say to you because you can see it says NFM down there. Maybe it's alternating back and forth. I'm not exactly sure why it's showing it one does. and not the other. Yeah. It does alternate back and forth. Yeah. But I just didn't know if, if that's an indication of uh, something not pr properly programmed. Um, Generally, you want narrow band FM on everything. Uh, if you're having issues with the, with the talk uh, with trunk systems, uh, I've read that you can put those into FM mode. Basically, what that means is that's the bandwidth that the um, the scanner is going to expect the signal to be you know 25 kilohertz versus 12 and a half kilohertz 
Mm-hmm. So um, I think FM mode right now is 25 kilohertz. Narrowband FM, uh, 12 and a half, which everything really FCC mandated right now is 12 and a half. But the new narrowband, the ultra narrowband is 6.25. So typically everything is going to go in your scanner right now is as NFM. Uh, and if you are confused about which one to use, you could just do automatic and let the scanner handle it for you. Sure. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you if, like, so I'm trying to figure out if, how do I know if I need to, like, upgrade the 996B2 that I have to the Pro Voice or that DMR, you know, um, Moto Turbo, and kind of, you know, the, 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 this was a kind of an aha moment for me, is the way that ARC works, where you select, let's say, one county, and let's, let's do um, one that I know would have... This one. So this one is going to have conventional frequencies, which will pull up. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, oh, yeah, in order to get all the talk groups, you have to do come over here to the trunk system. Right. And then select the different ones that you want. And so from what I understand, this is pretty much dark, encrypted. You can't do this open sky. Correct. Open sky. There's nothing out there that's going to help you out with that. Yeah. And so so the I guess kind of the, the question is, like, so if I determine – if trying to determine if I need to do the DMR upgrade, is it going to be you're going to see the county in which you want to get information from, but there's going to be a system that is like a Motorola-labeled system? like Correct. You know, so if you go, for example, go to uh, go to New York State. You pull down. And then for county, pick, um, pick Nassau County, N-A-S-S-A-U. And then go into the trunk systems. And then from your pull down, you'll see we got DMR, which is Bronx Bronx Turbo DMR conventional. You have Motorola Capacity Plus. So that's a DMR system. One below it, Long Beach School District's a DMR system. We have P25 uh, Phase 2 being deployed. Here. That's, another, that's another stage system. So you will see in the trunk system, to answer your question, will be labeled DMR, you know, if you scroll down even more, you'll see NXDN in there as well as as a pull down. Oh yeah. Next Edge, NXDN. So yeah. there's there's quite a bit here, but it is easier to see it too if you look at Radio Reference. If you actually go into the county, sure. because you could have DMR conventional. So again, if you just go into conventional for Nassau County, there are uh, conventional frequencies out of DMR. Hmm. So DMR is okay. not just a trunking standard. It could be a, like P25, can be a point-to-point conventional type of transmission or repeater, or a, same with DMR. You can just use a straight-out repeater and not be a trunk system. I got you. Yeah, <clears throat> I actually do like kind of starting at radio reference first. Mm-hmm. Um, let see, what is that? So... Another question I got here is I just, I'm trying to understand the like visualize in my head the communication process flow. So let's say any random county in USA uh, caller calls 911 says hey there's a fire at 123 Maple Street. So communication uh, process here does that go dispatch to tower tower to trucks and then trucks are going out sometimes communicating you know simplex back you know just uh, fireman to fireman and then maybe they're talking back to the dispatch but is that always going through the the antenna that's located at uh, well i guess whatever one is 
positioned in the right location for for broadcast. Yeah, that could be that could change the based on wherever you're looking at. Sometimes you could have the dispatcher could be have a hard line connection to where the repeater site is over fiber or you know an Ethernet back backbone. Um, and then you can have multiple transmit towers, which are all linked together. So you're you're broadcasting that dispatch over several different transmitter sites. Um, some departments may be paging out over you know one way alphanumeric pagers instead of over an RF path that you can listen to. Um, you could be transmitting over a, a repeater frequency or a simplex frequency, and then maybe even over a trunk frequency for dispatch. So each, I mean, I've like here in my county, I just for an example is we have simplex uh, on a low band for for half the county, and then the other half of the county just has their own VHF UHF repeater they use for dispatch, and then some departments in the county will have their fire ground as a simplex, but they also have a repeater that listens to the fire ground simplex and repeats it out, so the rest of the department can listen to it, so you can hear it as you're rolling in. Other departments may have it so that it's passed into a talk group. Um, some departments here have it so that it's only on a repeater. So, you know, and then other, again, too, other parts of my county here only operate on low band, so they're only using low band point to point. So, you know, each, each one's going to be its own, however the county is set up is going to be how the answer is really going to be. So there's no really set stone, you know, set standard, except whatever the standard is that they're being used, you know, in that department. I gotcha. So kind of taking a step back, we had talked about, you know, people going out and finding frequencies and, and or talk groups and locations. So is the best approach just to, to go put your your scanner and maybe just plug into the cigarette lighter and uh, drive around in that county to where you can start picking up transmissions and just put it in, in like a, a scan mode? You can do it that way. You can do – and you're going to get a lot of noise if you do it like that. You know, you'll get a lot of digital noise in there. Um you may find some birdies, which is just you know the the white noise that you pick up. Mm-hmm. Um, you may want to do close call mode while you're doing a search mode, because if you roll up to something and and um, you know when when uh, somebody keys up close to you, like like search mode is great for if you're walking into like I don't know Target or Best Buy or something like that, you know, and and they have those FRS radios. And you want to find out what they're using. The minute they key up, your scanner is going to lock into it if you're close to somebody, and you'll be able to hear what their conversation is. Um, you would have a hard time doing that in search mode unless your search range was really, really small. Gotcha. Um, Just stick to the close call. Right. So you can do close call too if um, – you know, again, if if you're on a fire scene and you and you just happen to not be catching anything on the scanner and, and you know they're talking, you can put it in close call mode and, and you'll hear what's going on, or you have a better luck at doing that. So um, how do you? So how do you? In that case, how do you log that information? Do you just like, let's say it's picking up multiple different talk groups and multiple different frequencies you weren't aware of? Is there a, a clean way to be able to like log off that yes. that data? <laughs> yeah. So again, if you're doing it via software, software is going to be the cleanest and easiest and quickest way to do it. Sure. Um, I mean, you could use software like, again, Unitrunker, or you can even use Pro96.com, and Pro96.com is nice because it, it will store right to a CSV file. It's very easy to use. Uh, Unitrunker stores as XML files, and you have to like pick and pick the fields you want, and it's a little bit different, difficult to look through. Um, at least when I was doing it, but you get used to it. You start to figure it out. The scanner itself, though, if you're just going out to scanner, will do a very good job on its own because you can actually log close call hits. Uh, it'll The scanner will beep and tell you it found something, hit enter to store it. 
Um, you can even store your search mode. You can do, um, I think you could do, um, I don't know if you could store with search mode. I might be wrong on that one. But you can definitely store when it comes to uh, to close call. It's also discovery mode too. If you have uh, one of the HP scanners, not the 996P2, but like the, the 436, I've 536. Got, I, yeah, 536 HP as well. Oh, perfect. So, so even that one's even going to be easier for you to use with that one because you can compare your search results with what's already in the database. So if it's in the database, it will ignore that search hit and it won't log it because you've already defined it and you know it's existing. But anything that's not existing that it that it c- comes up on, it will save that to a um, to an archive. So it will actually store that. Uh, if you click on, um, what is it here? I'm looking at my 436. It's um, but 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 it's a, re- a replay record. It's it's right below the avoid key next to the number four. Okay, I see there's a, it's a void, then replay, and records right above it? Uh, right below it, right. So, yeah, it might be different on the 536, correct. So, if um, if you press that, it will actually log. So, if it be function record, it will log everything that's coming through the scanner. So, you can even come back in with Sentinel and go through the discovery mode. Uh, let, me back, let me back that up. Let me back, let me back that thought up. So recording will only record what's actually going on through the scanner. If you're going into discovery mode, discovery mode is where it actually starts logging things uh, in a prettier format for you, and you can compare it with the, da- with the database. So again, if, if you're in uh, discovery mode, conventional discovery mode, you put a range in there, say 450 to 470 just to cover the UHF band, not the T band. We can do that as a separate scan list um, or separate discovery mode. And then it will say it gets a hit on... I don't know, 453, 100. And mm-hmm. if that is not in the database, it'll actually log 453, 100 as a valid hit. Whereas if 453, 100 was in the database, it would ignore that hit and just continue on its way. So that's something that you'll play with. So that you'll get more functionality on the higher end scanners than so, you would on the 996. And, and, and that's just called discovery mode if I want to pop open the user manual and yes. <clears throat> read a little bit more on it? Okay. Yeah, awesome. that would be discovery mode, correct. I've used discovery mode more on the trunking side than the conventional side. That's why it took me a second there to because what I normally do is I'll do um, I'll do the record mode when I'm trying to just listen to a range of frequencies and just go back later on and listen to them. Um, but the discovery mode is sounds more of what you want to do, and I use discovery mode more for trunk systems. So if I might just let the scanner sit there for like a week and uh, just go into discovery mode and then go back and see whatever talk groups are you know new on the system that I haven't picked up on before. I gotcha. So the, 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 I think the last two kind of higher level questions I have for you is one is, okay, let's just, I know there's a whole lot with birth or with a earth bulge and just, there's so many things, but in a per, in, in the, a scenario where we lived in a 2d world and you have like a, I have like a, a D one thirty N dipole antenna. What kind of ranges is, is, is that actually going to, to, to pick up distance wise? So that's, that's got a lot of variables on it as well. The antennas will work line of sight, point to point from each other. So the higher you get your antenna, the better off your your coverage footprint becomes. The better coax you use, the better your coverage footprint becomes, because you've eliminated the loss between the antenna and the back of your radio. Um, the tr- same thing holds true with the other person. So if they're using a, say, fire ground half watt radio, one watt radio, on the side of their belt, and they're inside of a building. You may only get a couple block radius on that. 
but if they're on top of same same radio, but they're on top of a mountain, you can get miles and miles off that. So it's a very loaded question as to what it is. So um, that's kind of what I kind of what I had figured. Yeah. Um, it just you know I'm thinking about you know if I want to go position some different scanners at different you know people's houses, uh-huh. um, what would be the best way to kind of just be a ballpark start um, starting point for coverage zones and trying to figure that out. Right. Um, and then doing fine tuning kind of as you, as you go. And, it, um, and again, the different antennas you use too, the, the better gain they may have in it, right? So you, if you had, like I said, you had a, a D130NJ uh, disc cone antenna, so that's that's you know an equal opportunity offender, you know, to say it's a wide range of frequencies that that antenna works for. Whereas if you bought say a antenna that's just tuned for 800, it may have some gain in there, and that gain is going to improve your 800 megahertz coverage better than you would have gotten off of the disc cone. Mm-hmm. So for my example with me is um, I have on my house the, the very same height. I have a uh, a diamond amateur radio antenna, which is cut for 2 meters and 440, right? Uh, a VHF, UHF, basically. And it's got a decent amount of gain. I believe 9 dB of gain on the UHF side of the house. My scanner antenna at the moment is a um, an Austin Ferret. And that's a whole other can of worms right there. Sure. But... If I go back and forth, so from where I'm located in Long Island, if I'm on the Austin Ferret, I can't hear Jersey City Police, right? It's all into New Jersey. If I flop over into my amateur radio antenna, I can pick them up like they're sitting right next to me. Mm. So everything else being aligned, everything else being exactly the same because I have all that gain in the antenna, which I don't have on the other one, I'm able to also pick up these signals. I gotcha. Yeah, no, that, that that does make sense. What and the, the the last thing I got for you is about grounding mm-hmm. and living in in where I live. There's about maybe an inch of topsoil and then it's rock. So if it's outside, okay. it's a little bit different. But let's say on indoors, mm-hmm. how, how um, tin foily do I need to be on grounding scanners and? Um, I guess yeah, just start there. Okay. So, yeah, I actually did a whole episode on just grounding. I don't know if you got that far yet with it. No, not yet. Okay. So, yeah, I did cover this a lot. And, again, this is a lot of how tinfoily do you want to get with it. Um, you definitely want to find out, though, from your building code how far down a, grind, a grounding rod would have to be, just say for electrical system. This way you know you know how, how far down you have to go. And, again, like you said, it, it might be a little tough to get down that far. Um, I think eight feet is a general rule of thumb, at least where I am. Is, is where all the grounding rods are. And uh, again, you want to make sure you have nice, solid... It may take you a while to, to bang down that far, but um, you want to make sure that you get at least down there. Um, the antenna, you probably want to ground if it needs it. Um, the radios would be grounded together and then to a central ground point. You, want to run, you don't want to run each radio independently because you can actually get ground loops that happen in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the antenna, if you have like a multi-coupler, is going to have a ground lug on it. Your power supply would have a ground lug on it. But again, the best the best thing to do is if you're really that paranoid about anything, uh, you know, just unplug the scanners from the antenna and also from the from the power, and and you're you're kind of isolated at that point. You know, it's it's not plugged into anything. Um, grounding is really going to limit your RF noise more than probably save your equipment if you get struck by lightning because if your house gets hit by lightning you have bigger problems yeah exactly you know? exactly yeah. but if you have say a power surge 
you know, I, that would help you if your if your electrical is grounded correctly. You don't want your electrical to ground out through your radios. That's a whole other problem. You know, mm. you want everything to be bound together. And again, I'm not an electrician. You know, I'm just here as a hobby. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. It's just it's more like yeah, it's all all good information to, yep. to just to kind of take in. There's there's a kind of you're right. Tip of the iceberg was a, a great way to kind of. Um, <laughs> to define it because it's the more i learn i'm just more i it's been a long time since i've, I've been uh up to the i've had the knowledge i've had on the rf stuff i ended up my background's a lot in in, in networking and on, okay. on that side of things so i understand that a part of it and when i did a lot of my uh wireless um uh education you know that's probably six seven eight years ago so it's a little bit fuzzy and then i'm kind of as i'm diving into this i'm like geez oh pete I, I just i love how simple some of it is that it just also blows your mind of how the average person has no idea how this stuff works and how um how entering in, interesting it is yep yep but it definitely sounds like though though from what you're describing is is you're going to tumble down this rabbit hole pretty fast um yeah <laughs> now and there was a networking side of things too. I mean, have you looked at anything with SDR or software defined radio? Have, have you looked at that at all? No, that's a, that's a new concept. I'm okay. Hearing. Yeah. So if you haven't looked at SDR, <laughs> what that basically is, is you can buy these uh, cheap dongles at like $30 USB sticks and you would plug them into your antenna network where you can just run standalone mag mount antennas or something like that. And it gives you a waterfall or a full spectrum view of what's actually out there. And you can actually see all the spikes happening as people transmit and, and, and all that. And you can actually click on uh, that spike with your mouse and it would center the frequency on it and then you can start listening to it. Oh, wow. So is this <clears throat> uh, for any type of scanner or is it just for certain kinds? This would be standalone products. So you're, it wouldn't really be... Um, I mean, there's scanners out there that are, that are considered SDRs and, and you look at like, like the uh, Hack RF or something like that, and they're, they're a couple hundred bucks. But an entry level to get you in the door is like a Nuelec uh, SDR. And if you want, I can shoot you a link to one on Amazon with an affiliate link. Yeah. And what I did was um, I went on a cruise back in October, and what I did was I, I had two SDR dongles with me. And I ran this piece of software called DSD+. Plus which allows me to monitor what's going on. And I also ran SDR Sharp, which, again, SDR Sharp is the visual of the what's going on over the air. So I was actually able to start figuring out what's going on in the cruise ship. All right, we have a DMR system here. Let me start logging the DMR talk groups. And all of a sudden, oh, crap, they're, they're encrypted. But when we ported in Bermuda, I fired up DSD+, and I looked for, like, the local... Um, actually, I had my 436, so I had that in a search mode. I had SDR Sharp just looking at the spectrum to see what's around me. I isolated a talk, um, a trunk system, then fired up DSD Plus, was able to start picking out some business talk groups on the local uh, tower that was right there outside of the port. Mm. So, and again, that was all done within maybe a half hour time frame of finding out, you know, after we reported what was there. But um, SDR, so, yes, that's, yeah, that'd be great to send the link. So, but just a, it's a USB dongle that you plug into your computer, and then yes. how, how does it? connect into i guess how are you i'm missing the drop of when you plug it into your machine mm -hmm. how is it picking up you know transmissions so sdr sharp is the actual software you would start off with and that's able to take the signal that comes in off the usb and convert it into something that you can visually see and listen to so your your computer actually becomes 
the radio itself. Whereas the USB dongle becomes the interface between uh, the USB port and the antenna. So really, again, let me back that one up. The USB dongle is the receiver, but your computer is all that hardware and all that circuitry and all that magic that actually makes um, what the receiver receives and what you can listen to with it. Okay, very interesting. So your computer actually also becomes the trunk radio decoder. It, if you add a second one, it becomes the actual trunk radio receiver. So interesting. Yeah, if you were playing with like uh, P twenty five, it can it can you can listen to P twenty five, DMR, NXDN, all from free software, and a thirty dollar dongle. Man, that's that's too cool, and I, yeah. I'm, I'm glad there's another rabbit hole now to go down. <laughs> yes, there is, and from that rabbit hole too, you can start going down. Um, weather satellite reception. You can start going down um, ADSB receiving and, and plotting out planes. Uh, you can do the same thing for ship traffic. You can go down. There's a million different ways you can go down something with just an SDR dongle. Mm. So, That's and I'm true. personally myself, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit down to the tip of the iceberg on that one. But you know, I'm still playing around. There's a whole lot you can do with with an SDR. That is and, just my. And, and the acronym is is it software defined radio? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I'll do some do some looking on that. But um, hey, Phil, it was a it was a pleasure. Um, good to to get to be able to throw some questions off you and get some feedback. Uh, kind of really helpful and kind of align my my efforts to kind of say, okay, where where do I need to go next here? So um, also, if I don't know how far you might have gotten that far already. I had a consulting call with John Goldenberg uh, back on session thirteen, and we went yes. through some of the not really totally some of the questions you had but i mean if you have more questions we'll keep going um you know i want to cut you off here if, if you have a couple more questions you want to go through you know a lot of them are kind of on it's hard because i'm i'm in this process of like understanding and also then trying to form coherent questions so it's a matter of uh, you know, listen to as many scanner school podcasts as I can to understand things from a conceptual level. And then to, tr from then try to take that and to practically apply it to, you know, to the goals I'm trying to reach. But then at the same time, understanding, um, every little bit nut and bolt from, from, from point A to point Z. So it's kind of, I, I would be a little, at this time, I, I think I'd be a little bit hard pressed to come up with more like I think very good quality type questions I think would be beneficial for your time. Okay. Um, however, um, I just have a, a big to-do list of, of questions related to um, the scanning world. And as I'm going through and doing research, whether that's reading a, a manual or, or learning new features on a certain scanner, what I'm doing is I'm taking that and I'm, I, I'm adding those to the list and there's a very, very high likelihood that that list is going to fill back up again, mm -hmm. um, where we could, you know, maybe hop on another one in the near future. Um, there's just, it, it, it's so cool that there, you know, the open source side of, of this yeah. world. I really, really like that, um, that aspect of it, having a little bit of a Linux background myself. It's, it's kind of nice to see that. Um, and you may like that too with the SDR because there is a Linux software called OP25 and Again, that and also GNU Radio, also, oh, and nice. that allows you again to take those SDR dongles and you plug it into the USB port, and you can using GNU Radio you can actually build the parts and the components of the radio itself on a 
you know, a breadboard type of type of thing or a block diagram. And okay. then, you know, people are doing some really if you look just go look online and look up, you know, new radio or uh uh, on YouTube, and you'll find people are just making these really, really crazy things with those pieces of software. Um, and again, OP25 is is a P25 trunking receiver logger. Those kinds of things you can you can run that. And it runs it runs great in Ubuntu or, or uh, something like that as well. Uh, Raspberry Pi is getting a lot of software now. The Raspberry Pi version three is out. Mm-hmm. So again, people are running. Um, they're running a lot of uh, P25 decoding. Uh, right through a Raspberry Pi as a standalone receiver now. So now for the Raspberry Pi for sixty five bucks or whatever they cost now, right? Thirty five dollars plus the SD card plus the case plus the sure. power supply, and then with the uh, again a pair of SDR uh, USB dongles for a hundred bucks, you got a really nice system that you can just log into and listen to. So there's a lot that's coming around, and a lot of people say you know encryption's killing the hobby, but at the same time, this whole other part of the hobby is now growing. So while yeah. encryption might be there, yet it might be a stumbling block for a lot of people, it opens the door for a lot of other interesting things that I think a lot of people are missing out on. And so I guess, you know, here's an, an interesting question I got for you. So in the whole encryption side of things, <clears throat> isn't this hardware supported by taxpayer dollars? And so I understand like for HIPAA violations that there would be need to um, encrypt certain types of, um, you know, traffic. Um, but I, it, it seems that if, if the equipment is, is published or purchased with public tax dollars, that it would, I don't know, kind of just goes against the grain of, of encrypting and, and logging that traffic out. Um, is that how the, the counties are per, they're purchasing it with taxpayer dollars? Uh, they're probably, I mean, this, this is a whole that's, that can get pretty muddy. Um, most of the times, you know, the systems are public uh, purchased either via taxpayer dollars or via a government grant, which again, in the end, ends up being taxpayer dollars anyway. But there's a whole lot involved with it. You know, you get people who are looking for officer safety or or those kinds of things, and there are just stuff out there that really shouldn't be monitored to begin with. You know, people there are lives at stake or or coordination efforts and stuff like that. So. Um, in the end, if somebody is really that bent on turning over encryption, you know, the best course of action for them would be to write to their local representation, um, get some local groups involved, like here locally, the PD encrypted and the fire departments and all the fire chiefs and, and, you know, everybody else out here that was part of the fire districts went to the local PD and said, this is, you know, our safety involved here because we've had situations where we've rolled up and found out that there was, somebody that's shooting at our, you know, at the EMTs. Um, that was a real life situation that, that actually happened and played out. And the solution was that, well, you know, each one of the dispatch offices will get two radios then so they can listen. It doesn't really help anything, but that was, that was the solution. So in the meantime, you know, then there's a hotline that the media can, can find out what's going on. And, and, and so they're like, well, we made, we made, you know, resources available. We don't want anybody listening to us. Um, if, if a new system is coming online, you know, get out there, get to the board hearings, get to all those things and address your concerns then. Um, but really, you know, encryption is encryption. I, I see both sides of it. I see the, the officer safety side of, of things yeah, uh, definitely. And, and the need to know. And also from a hobbyist, you know, you want to know, but does that entitle you to know type of thing? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The whole officer safety side of it is definitely a, 
you know, if you've got nefarious intent and you're able to know that, uh, let's say you don't want the cops at your location and you're able to know that they're on their way there, it's a kind of defeats the purpose of, you know, so I definitely get that aspect of it. It's more or less of a, well, what what prevents everybody from jumping over to an encrypted system and then everything kind of going dark? Well, money. Money is one of them because it does cost extra to uh, enable the encryption usually. So, and some people, they just understand this, you know, they just don't, they don't need it. So, or there's been departments too that have had encryption turned on and then in a couple years later, they turn them off. So. Yeah. 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 There's definitely probably budgets and, and different costs that are. Well, you, you get somebody who's involved too that changes their mind and says, you know, we don't need this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, <clears throat> I'm sure it adds a lot more. Uh, sure, it adds a lot more. Um, I mean, to actually encrypt that data, it's more processing. It's, it's there's yeah, you're right. There's extra costs associated with that. And, yep. Um, it, it, is it is it overkill or is it is it necessary? Right, right. And again, too, once you start adding stuff like an encryption, you could you can lock yourself into a particular manufacturer of the radio that may be more money than another manufacturer of a radio. So again, it comes into that, you know, they're saving money or so, you know, and, and again, encryption is, is, is part of the game at this point. You know, it's, it, it was a problem when they went trunking and all of a sudden you couldn't listen to trunking and then they made trunking radios. I'm not going to say they're going to make radios that, that can handle mm-hmm. encryption because they're not going to do that. But, you know, for, there have been stumbling blocks in the past when it came to the scanner radio hobby. Um, and, you know, the, the hobby's still here. It's still evolved. It's still, you know, gone with it. And I don't think, short of somebody coming saying it's illegal in the state or illegal in this country, I think, at least in the United States here, you know, I mean, you go to other countries and you can't scan. You know, you look at the UK and they're they're scanning aviation and marine because that's, that's really all they can listen to. So, Yeah, that's very, very interesting when you hop from, you know, just different country to country, the, the different local law that, and, but... Yep. Um, one other quick question. Now that you you said that, I remember um, in one of your episodes you'd mentioned using radio reference to identify lat longs of the towers that yes are um, leased. So, if you are looking to go to County X and do some <clears throat> uh, groundwork to figure out the different talk groups, frequencies, or just the different chatter that's going on, um, is is the most logical approach to you know, let's say take uh, your your portable uh, your portable or mobile scanner with you. Let's say maybe pre-program it with everything that you could find on radio reference, and then head out to that tower location. And or is that type of methodology um, not as the crow flies to find out the information you're looking for? So explain that one again. So if you're going yeah, to sure. a, a transmitter site to find out what the active frequencies are, or are you trying to, I mean, cause if you can, yeah, well, go ahead. Try. Okay. So let's say there is, um, County number one and mm-hmm. County number one, you don't pick up at all, but that's because you, you don't have any scanner in that location. And you say, all right, well, I'm going to go and figure out where I want to actually put a scanner. So I can pick up as much as I can pick up in that county. So you head over to Radio Reference. You say, okay, cool. Let me find uh, county number one. Cool. Here's everything that exists on it. Let me uh, use my, my my programming software. Let me program the scanner. Cool. Now I've got a program scanner with that county number one. Let's head over to that county. So you head over to that county, and then maybe in your car, you got this little pull-out <clears throat> antenna on the back of it. And you're trying to 
locate uh, a place where you're actually able to pick up different transmissions. Um, it is that type of approach to determine if you're picking up broadcasts the right way or the best way, or is there a better approach to to that type of scenario? Okay, so that's that's another great great question because you may find out that particular counties the way they're licensed, um, which is which is what the FCC is trying to do is they're trying to limit you only have a footprint within the area you actually need. So physically going into the county you want to listen to is a good a good way of doing it. And again, example because I'm familiar with it, like NYPD. NYPD has citywide frequencies that cover the entire city. I'm about 45 minutes from the border. I can still hear NYPD as plain as, plain as day. But the individual precincts in NYPD, like say in Queens or Brooklyn, I sometimes have a very hard time hearing because they're licensed only for you know X number of total uh, radiated power output, ERP. And so, so for, for like again... Listening outside the county and trying to hear something that's inside the county may not be your best tactic. So actually physically going into the county and finding what's going on inside the county is a good way of finding out extra stuff. Uh, finding out the exact locations of the transmitters, again, may also improve your success rate of hearing things. Uh, strictly because, again, you know, uh, where I live, north side of the county versus south side of the county, we have a giant ridge in the middle. We call it the Long Expressway. The terrain changes from there. So where I am, I miss a lot of the north part of the county, but I can hear the south part fine. Mm-hmm. So um, not only going into the county and finding out what's available for you as far as transmitter sites, but looking at your terrain of the county would help you out tremendously as well. You don't want to drive into the county and pick the lowest point because now, again, we talked before about line of sight. You may not hear something on the other side of a ridge. You may not hear something oh, yeah. that's on the other side of the mountain. So if, again, depending how it, your terrain is, you may want to find the highest spot within that county. And again, that highest spot in the county may have all the transmitter sites on it because it's the highest spot within the county. And that right. may not be a good solution because your scanner is going to be overloaded because it has too much RF. It's, it's, it's a high RF environment. And it might be deaf now. So, you know. And, and, that's, and that's deaf because it's just there's too much RF. Yep. Exactly. Your noise floor rises because there's all this RF environment in there as well. So, again, this is one of those case-by-case basis, which makes the whole scanning hobby fun. You know, it's it's every little thing changes what you're doing about it. But, but yeah, I mean, again, to answer your question is, you know, look and see what's in radio reference. You can just click on the license. It will bring up the map uh, to, to show you what's available in the county. Um, and, and again, that's a great way of using your resources that are available to you to find out what's out there. So, yeah, that's the the approach of what I I you know at least did from a logical standpoint is I did that. I, I located the towers and I said, mm, okay, let's go pull up some topo maps and let's let's look at the elevation of those places um, to try to see where they stand at in the county from you know a, um, from a topo map perspective. So you're able to tell elevations and okay, well that makes sense why that tower's there. No, that makes sense why that tower is there. But um, I guess thinking of all the uh, RFI stuff that you just mentioned, um, I didn't even think about that initially. But that's a very important thing to take into consideration. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's a lot going on out there. <laughs> so. That's – yeah, to say the least. That's that's true. Yep. 
Okay, well, awesome. And, and Phil, what I'll end up doing is if a bunch of another good set of questions come up <clears throat> um, over the next uh, little while, I'll, I'll keep blogging them and yeah. I'll, I'll reach back out to you. And then just as your, your Phil at Scanner School, um, the best email address to reach you. Yeah, yeah, that was perfect. Yep. Okay, awesome. Well, hey, man, I, I can't appreciate you um, dropping some knowledge today and uh, continue the hard work with the, with the podcast. Keep it up. I know it's a it's a it's a commitment to, to maintain that. So uh, keep giving you some motivation to keep doing it. And I think a lot of people uh, really value the, the, the content that you're producing. So excellent. I really appreciate that. It keeps those those words of motivation. Keep me going. <laughs> so. That's awesome. That's what I want to hear, man. That's that's exactly what I want to hear. Excellent. All right, man. Well, again, if you have any other questions, you can always reach me on my email. And then uh, I, I do apologize for missing that first one uh, that it took a couple of days, but uh, I got swamped with the holidays. It was just a lot going on here, and I'm I'm about three weeks behind my emails right now. So yeah, you, you no, got lucky. No. <laughs> you got lucky. I caught it within a week. Yeah, <laughs> so. no problem. It's uh, none at all. I'm extremely busy myself, so it was one of those things where, all right, I'm going to shoot this message out to Phil, and then hopefully here uh, in the next month or so, I'll get a response. Just. So, yeah, no, awesome. I appreciate, uh, enjoyed the conversation and um, keep up the hard work. Excellent. Thanks. And if, and if you end up going down the rabbit hole and you become really good at something that you're working on, you know, become that expert in it, come back on. You can teach us how to do what, you, what it is you're doing. All right. I will, I'll definitely do that. And make sure to um, shoot off that affiliate link. Uh, yes. I'll take a look at that, at that, that dongle and, and, and begin that track. Will do. <clears throat> All right, Phil. Have a great day. You too. Thank you very much. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. So there you have it. There is a consulting call between myself and and Tyler. So thank you, Tyler, so much for allowing me to use this session in a podcast. So again, this is our um, Ask Scanner School for the week. So if you have any scanner radio-related questions, you can always ask us by going to scannerschool.com slash ask. In there, you'll find a link that you can record your own question, and we will be more than happy to play that back on a podcast and answer your questions. Now, again, for those of you leaving a voicemail, that is the quickest way to get your question answered. If you're a little shy, that's fine. You can always submit your question using the form on that page, and um, we will answer those questions in order that they come in. So we are a couple of weeks or months behind on answering those, actually. We have um, questions in the queue to answer the next couple of Ask Scanner School sessions. So, again, if you use the voice mail, you will get a much quicker response. And again, if you're looking for a one-on-one session like you've heard today, you can always click on the consulting link at the very bottom of the Scanner School page as well. Before we go, I want to thank again our Patreon supporters, Brian Southworth, Dan, James Felling, Ken Newberry, Kenneth Fowler, M.T. Bono, Mark Beebe, Raymond Hill, and William are canned. You can support Scanner School by going to scannerschool.com slash support. On that page, you'll find links to our, our Patreon. You'll find links to uh, one-time PayPal donations or even to our affiliate programs such as Butel Software, Scanner Master, and Amazon. So if you're going to make a purchase on Amazon or Scanner Master, just visit scannerschool.com slash support first. Click on those links and we will get credit for anything you buy using those links as well. So again, Patreon is great. It's a month-to-month like PBS model of support. So you'll be supporting us monthly. And then uh, PayPal is also a one-time fee. And of course, if you buy using our affiliate links, it is a one-time 
uh, one-time kind of support type of process that doesn't cost you anything because you are using our affiliate links. It's a great way to help support us because it doesn't cost you a thing and you are able to make your purchases as well. All right, guys, we have something a little bit different for next week, something a little bit um, out of the ordinary, but uh, you know, maybe you'll find it interesting, maybe you won't. Maybe you want to share it with your, with, uh, your significant other as well to prove that you aren't so nuts. So again, my name is Phil Lichtenberger. This is Scanner School, and make sure that you have subscribed to the podcast so you check out next week's episode. Just take your phone out of your pocket, what, a, what playlist you're using or podcast player, click subscribe so you get next week's session automatically delivered to your device. We'll catch you all next Tuesday, 73, and thank you so much for listening and being there and for your continued support.